Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a quick little GDP minute. Hey guys, quick disclaimer. You guys know the deal. If you get any sort of value from this man, and I mean it, this is all I ask from you guys when it comes to the podcast. Just share it with a friend, man. You know I'm coming through a fire. Every episode, I'm coming through with heat. I've been doing this shit for three years. Heat. Fire guests, fire content, but I'll leave that up to you. Again, if you think any of your friends are going to like this, they might benefit from the interview. They learn something. They laugh. They cry. Just share it with a friend, man. Now, with that being said, this is a cool guest today, man. This was Dave McGillivray. McGillivray. Hope I'm saying that right, Dave. Dave is the director of the Boston Marathon in DMSE Sports. So he manages a bunch of events pre-COVID. And the guy's done insane physical feats. Insane. Run across the U.S., done the the Ironman, done the 777 challenge, which Becca Peasy did. And the guy's motor is on a hundred, ready to go at all times. Inspired me a lot, man. I got my marathon coming up on March 7th. So coming at a fitting time. And he's now running the mass vaccination sites. Quite the guy. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Thank you to Brendan and Lexi for helping me prepare. And we're sending this to my guy, Christian Fox today to edit it. Christian, give it a rip, brother. Hope you enjoy. All love. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Hi, this is Dave McGilvery, and this is my golden hour. So yesterday was, for me, was the peak of peak week. Yeah. And I totaled about 40 total miles on the week. So yeah. I got my marathon in two weeks. And I've been telling everybody how when we were on the phone, I was like, yeah, I'm doing about 40 miles right now. You're like, yeah, back in 1983, I was doing about 280 miles a week. <laughs> now, can, relative, man. can you kind of explain that just a little bit for people who don't know? Oh, well, in 1978, I ran across the United States from Medford, Oregon to my hometown of Medford, Mass. And, you know, back then there weren't, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't GPS, no computers, no nothing. So I had to chart the course with AAA maps and a ruler. And uh, interestingly, I miscalculated the distance by over 200 miles. So when I realized that by the time I got to Utah, I said, I got to pick it up. And I was averaging about 43 miles a day up until then. Then I said, I, I, I got to do a lot more than 43. So I started averaging about 50, 52 every day. And then I got ahead of myself. And by the time I got to Massachusetts, I was like a week ahead of myself. So I had to cut back and slow down a little bit. But yeah, so I was doing about 350, 360 miles a week. Now, uh, how did you break that up? You did a marathon in the morning, marathon in the night or? No, no, I broke it up into smaller pieces. I would run 10 mile splits. So every morning I had a um, three guys with me in a motorhome. So every morning we get up at 5.30 and I'd be on the road at 6.30. They would wait 45 minutes and then they would take off and then they'd see me at about an hour into my run and then they'd go to the 10 mile point. And then when I'd see the motorhome, that's when I knew I had done the 10. So I get in the motorhome, got something to drink, stretched, was in there for maybe 15 minutes and then went back out and did another 10 another 10. And that's how I did it. So I did 10 mile splits, like five of them every day. Sorry, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Just so people know. Yeah. Dave McGilvery, I'm the president of 
GMSE Sports. It's an event management company I started 40 years ago. And we put on road races, marathons, charity walks, triathlons. So we've produced, managed, directed over 1,400 events all over the world in the last 40 years. Everything from consulting on the Atlanta Olympic Games to the Goodwill Games to the Triathlon World Championships to this is my 34th year helping to direct the Boston Marathon so races all over the country, and then personally done a lot of uh, athletic sort of feats, uh, running across the country a couple of times, ran up the east coast of America once. I've done the Ironman triathlon in Hawaii nine times. I've done 24-hour swims in a pool, 24-hour bike rides, 24-hour runs. Run my age on my birthday every year since I was 12. I'm 66 now. What does that mean? So you're going to run 67 miles next year? Yeah, in August is my birthday. So I usually run the equivalent number of miles as my age. I've been doing that for 54 years. (laughs) Now, Dave, I'm sure you hear a lot of stuff like this, but I'm kind of a sicko myself, so I understand it. But are most people like, dude, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Connor. Um, You know, I know people on the outside looking in may may actually think that way. But for me, when I was growing up as a young boy, I always wanted to be one thing, one thing only. I I really, really wanted, growing up here in Boston, I wanted to be a professional athlete. And unfortunately, I was short in stature. And, you know, I kept getting cut from from the teams. And I was always the last one picked when my friends would pick sides, you know, in the park leagues. And so I learned a lesson. You know, I always felt there's three types of pain. There's physical pain, there's mental pain. And the worst of all is emotional pain. And I was being rejected a lot and wasn't being given a chance to do what I wanted to do. And that was to be an athlete. So I learned that concept of rejection early on in life. But I also said, I'm not going to be denied. So I just took a different path. And I started running because no one could catch you from running. And so I just started setting personal goals of doing these things. And then when I started my business, people said, you really think you can earn a living putting on road races? I said, well, that's where you're wrong. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, that's a means to an end. Well, what's the end? I said, I'm not just putting on road races. I'm helping to raise the level of self-confidence and self-esteem of tens of thousands of people. And that's what these events ultimately do. Or people ask me, you know, what's the toughest part about running a marathon? You know, I always say signing the application because it's it's really having the guts to make that commitment. And then you have to do the work and earn the right. And then you toe the line, you answer the gun, you run the course, you cross the finish line, you get a medal and magic happens. You go home feeling good about yourself. And truly, there's nothing more powerful on this earth than to feel good about yourself because that's the very foundation by which we accomplish everything in our lives. And that's what this sport does and this industry does. And that's why so many people are out there pre-pandemic participating in these events. They're selling out at record pace because the walls of intimidation have crumbled. People are believing in themselves. You know, philanthropy entered the sport and that just catapulted it to a whole different level because now there's a greater purpose for doing this for a lot of people. So that's why I do it. That's why I continually set these goals. And that's why I like being on the management side, because I feel like I'm helping to give people that opportunity. 
quick rewind. So you said initially people had said you think you can make a living doing road races. Do you feel like you're the type who's kind of fueled by negativity a little bit? Do you like proving people wrong? You know, it's a really good question. And it truly isn't, Connor, about me proving people wrong. I do care about what they say, but my ultimate goal is not to prove them wrong. My ultimate goal is to prove me right. When I ran my first Boston Marathon, I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school. And I woke up that morning and I said, I want to run the marathon. Now, I hadn't entered or anything. And I called my grandfather up who lived right near the marathon course. And he was a supporter of my athleticism. I said, Grandpa, I'm going to go run that race in Boston. So he said, oh, they call that the Boston Marathon. I said, oh, well, that's a good name for it because I'm going to go run it. So he said, okay, I'll meet you at Coolidge Corner. I said, great. Where's that? He said, 24 miles. I said, fine. My brother drove me out to the start. I took off. I got to 20 miles. Down I went in the hills in Newton. I got taken to the wall. Bonked like crazy. I just went down. You know, I did a face plant. Got taken to the Newton Wellesley Hospital in an ambulance. I got to the hospital. My parents picked me up. I went home and I called my grandfather. There's no answer. Call him again. There's no answer. Finally, nine o'clock at night, he answers the phone. I said, Grandpa, where have you been? He said, Dave, where have you been? I've been waiting for you all night. The old man goes by, the street sweepers go by, no Dave. I said, yeah, I know I, I failed. He said, you what? I said, I quit. He said, nah, you didn't quit. I said, I didn't, what I do? He said, you learned. I said, great, what did I learn? He said, you learned you cannot go along in life and set reckless goals. You had no business being in that race. You didn't earn the right to do it. I said, you're right. He says, I'll cut another deal with you. I said, what's that? He says, now you train for it. Oh, there's a novelty, right? You train for it. And he said, uh, I'll be there waiting for you next year. I said, deal. Two months later, he died. And I said, I, I got to do this. I got to do this for my grandfather. I turned 18. I was training like crazy. I was doing a buck 20, a buck 30 miles a week. I was fit. I was ready to go. And the day before the marathon, I got sick. My parents said, you can't run. I said, I have to run. The newspapers are saying, Dave, running in memory of grandfather. I have to. And they said, you're too sick. And I said, can you give me something that very few other people have ever given me before? And they said, what's that? I said, a chance. Isn't that all we ever want in life is a chance to accomplish something, to, to make a difference? That's all I want. They said, okay, fine. They drove me out to the start. I took off. I'm feeling awful. I see my parents at halfway point, And there's my mother. And what's she doing? She's crying. Why? Because that's what mothers do. They cry. Why? Because they're going through more pain than you'll ever go through worrying about you. And there's my father taking pictures of my mother crying. And I said, okay, I'm going to keep going. I got to the hills in Newton where I dropped out the year before and I'm doing a survivor shuffle over the hills. I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I got to 21 and a half. Bang. 21 and a half miles right after Boston College. I went down again twice. I dropped out of my second Boston Marathon. Now, I put my head in my, in my hands and I said, what a loser. Maybe this wasn't meant to be. I'm the last one picked all the time. I'm the last one cut all the time. I dropped out of my first Boston. I dropped out of my second Boston. It just wasn't meant to be. And all of a sudden, a defining moment happened. And I turned around and right behind me was the Evergreen Cemetery on the Boston Marathon course. And that's where my grandfather was buried. And there was his tombstone right there. And that son of a gun said he'd be there waiting for me. Now, maybe he wasn't there physically, but he was there spiritually. And I said, that son of a gun kept his end of the deal. I got to keep my end of the deal. And I picked myself up 
And I finished the race in four and a half hours as an 18 year old, my very first marathon, my first Boston Marathon. I said, I'm going to run this race every year for the rest of my life and honor a tribute of the lesson my grandfather taught me about earning the right to do it. And I've run it for the last 48 years in a row. That's quite the story, man. I, I've seen your TED talk, so I'm familiar. And um, when you had started in the Boston Marathon, was it as popular as it is today? Because I, to be honest with you, I grew up around here. And so I always thought that's what people did for marathons in cities all over the country. I thought that shut the city down. I thought that people just freaked out about it. And it wasn't until I got into running when I realized, oh no, Boston Marathon's the Super Bowl of marathons. So back then, what was kind of the Boston Marathon brand? Well, when I started in running it myself in 73 officially, there was only 7,000 people in it. And the 100th, we had 40,000. And now we have on average 30 to 36,000. So in terms of popularity, you know, certainly it's the holy grail of marathon around the world. It, you know, it's it's the bucket list. It's the race that everybody wants to do. It's the Super Bowl, Tour de France, World Series, you know, Kentucky Derby all rolled into one in our space. So yeah, the stakes are high, especially for those of us managing it because we have to produce you know, and we have to meet the expectations of participants from all over the world who worked really, really hard to get here. So yeah, back in, in the 70s, it was one of the only ones in the world. So it was extremely popular. And then, like I said, once philanthropy entered, and then it really took off because now, I mean, just this past year, we raised over $39 million wow. in, in, you know, in, in, in philanthropy for hundreds of charities all over Greater Boston and New England as a result of runners running in the race. So it's a combination of, you know, qualifying, earning the right, the Holy Grail, plus it also does a lot of good community goodwill, gives back, helps save lives. So it has a little bit of everything connected to it. All right, let's remind just a little bit because I feel like you got a ton of stories, man. When you started running initially, have, I mean, have you always been hyperactive? Like, have you always been, had a motor? So only a few years ago, a little kid, when I was giving a talk, said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, well, that's a good question. First of all, what makes you think I want to grow up? Secondly, I'm not really sure. And then I was driving home that same day <laughs> and I was on the highway and I saw a billboard and there was one word on the billboard, one word. And I said, Darn it. That's it. That's exactly what I've been and what I want to be. And it said accomplisher. That's it. And that's it for me. It's I want to be an accomplisher. I want to set a goal, work hard, accomplish it, check it off the list, move on to the next one. Right? You've always been that way. <laughs> always. You know, and if you look in my car, I have no rear view mirror in there. I'm kidding. But um, the point being is I don't want to look back. You know, I always want to look forward you know, people say, what's your best accomplishment? And I always say, my best accomplishment, let's see, I've done this and this is my best accomplishment is my next one. Like, what do you got for me lately? So I'm always driven, I have realistic expectations too. You know, I can't do today what I could do 40 years ago as a runner, but there's, there's other levels of challenge that, that I go after that are equally as um, daunting, but achievable. And like just two years ago, I did the World Marathon Challenge, which is running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Now, did you do that with Becca Pizzi? Yes. 
That was Becca's second time doing it. My first time doing it. Was so this the one where she like tore her groin on number six and still ran yes. six and seven? Yeah. She, Becca yeah. came on the show. Oh, she did. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we both did it together, but I was 63, you know, and not that I was the second oldest person doing it. But the point being is that, you know, it's something I felt I could do. I had run that many miles consecutively in days, but not for 30 years. Can I do it again? And so it was a great opportunity to challenge myself and I was able to get it done. How'd you feel on marathon six and seven? For anybody yeah. listening, the world marathon challenge, if you haven't heard the Becca Peasy episode, go give that a spin. Runners go to all seven continents on seven consecutive days and run 26.2 miles on each continent. Yeah. And so the first one was, you know, in Antarctica. So that was the most exciting because how many people have been to Antarctica, number one, let alone run a marathon there. So it was just like pretty amazing to think that here I am at the bottom of the earth running a marathon on ice. So I got that one done. And then we went from, you know, real cold temperatures, flew back to Cape Town, South Africa, and it was like 85 degrees. So within a six and a half hour flight, it went from like five degrees to 85 degrees. So your body has to adjust, adapt and things of that nature. So Anyways, got through the second and third and fourth and fifth. And, you know, by the time I got to the sixth and seventh, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't as much physical running for me. That's in my DNA. It's what I did in my life. It was more the rat race in between, you know, jumping on and off of planes and trying to get some sleep on the plane. Sleep deprivation actually was my enemy, not 26 miles. I couldn't sleep on the plane. And Becca's, you know, conked out. Everyone's conked out. I'm walking around the plane going, I can't get to sleep. You know, I couldn't sleep. And I thought that I was going to crash and burn after three or four marathons, but that never did happen. So, but I felt great. In fact, the last 10 miles of the last marathon was my fastest 10 miles of the whole time. Yeah. Really? I was just, I was actually just starting to really get into it. <laughs> You'll feel you remember, I've 50 miles a day for 80 straight days, practically. So not that this was easy, but been that done that a little bit. Yeah. Now why ask if you've always been hyperactive because I have been ADHD forever bouncing off the walls, baby can't stop motor full speed. Let's get it. But everyone's like, you know, you'd really benefit from some meditation. So anytime I've tried to meditate and sit down for like 10 minutes, can't do it. Absolutely not. But I have found that running is a close alternative. Have you found that for yourself? I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, there are a lot of people who say, hey, why don't you get a book and lie in a chair out of the beach? No, 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 no. Relax. I said, are you crazy? I go, I go nuts. I said, my form of relaxation is very different than anyone else's. Maybe, maybe I'm not working at things that earn me a living, but I want to continually be productive. And, you know, that's why I've always facetiously said, sleep is overrated because I wish I could develop a pill that I could take at eight o'clock at night. Maybe the metabolism slows down and that substitutes for sleep, but I can still be active and not have to lie prone on a bed for eight hours, a third of my life and give it all up. I want to be doing things, but you know, obviously that's not going to happen in my lifetime. So I live each day like it's, my last, I guess you could say that cliche, but I try to get the most out of every day because we don't have a lot of them on this earth. So you might as well make the best of each one. 
Now, what do you, how many hours a night do you get for sleep? Well, it's a really good question because up until a little while ago, two years ago, I was probably getting away with four or five, right? Dude, um, for how long? My whole life. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't sleep much. You're an um, well, it's just, I just think it's a waste, but um, <laughs> medical doctors won't necessarily agree. I get it. But so then what you may know what, what happened a couple of years ago is that I was out for a run and I could feel some difficulty breathing. And I thought, what the heck was it? Something I ate or something I did? Did I get up on the wrong side of the bed? Did I tie my shoelaces too tight? What's going on here? And I couldn't figure it out and it persisted and persisted and persisted. And I said, I better do something about this. So I went to the Mass General Hospital and I said, listen, I'm having difficulty breathing when I'm running and my chest is sore, a level of discomfort. So they gave me all kinds of tests, echocardiograms, stress tests, EKGs, everything. And all of them said about the same thing. There's nothing wrong with you. I said, yes, there is something wrong with me. I can't breathe when I'm running. I said, you got to give me the big boy tests, right? Look under the hood, you know? So they did a CAT scan and an angiogram and the doctor walks in and he's looking at the monitor and he says, there, 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 there. I said, there what? He said, you have severe coronary artery disease. I said, huh? I, I can't. How can I? I've run 150,000 miles. I've run across the country. I've done Ironman, blah, blah, blah. How can I, how can I have coronary illness? They said, well, I, I don't know how you can have it, but you do. I said, genetics? And they said, probably. I said, yeah, and I think it's probably self-inflicted too. And they say, how do you mean? I said, well, I've been breaking the rules. What do you mean? I said, you know, I don't sleep much. <laughs> I said, there's a lot of stress. And that was in 2013 during the bombs going off in Boston and all kinds of stuff. And I said, you know, I, I said, um, I, I'm not a junk food junkie, but, you know, I, I basically say anything and everything in moderation and you know, if I'm going to go for a 20 mile run, I can come home and have a little ice cream. I earn the right, right? That's my reward. Uh, you should and, have seen me yesterday, man. I went crazy. That's what I'm saying. So, but over 50 years of doing that and it all catches up. And so I turned to the doctor and I said, I have one question to ask you. And he said, what? I said, is this reversible? He said, it depends. I said, depends on what? He said, depends on the person. I said, well, you're looking at him. I'm over here. He said, with you and your discipline, I think you can have an impact in your own illness. I said, well, sign me up. I went on a tear. I changed my diet and stress and I got a little bit more sleep and blah, blah, blah. And about five months later, I, I lost 27 pounds, lowered my cholesterol level by over 100 points. And I wanted to go back to Hawaii, do the Ironman again, triathlon. You know, my doctor said, well, you, you can't until we, we know what's going on. I don't want you going down in the lava fields. I said, well, let's do another angiogram. And he did. He saw that I had reversed my own severe coronary artery disease by over 40%. He said, okay, you can go to Hawaii. So I went to Hawaii, did the Ironman. And then for the next two years, I was killing it. I was running as hard as I've ever run in my life. I was doing all kinds of triathlons, the whole bit. I went and did 777. And then I came home from that. And all of a sudden, I could feel this discomfort again. What the heck is this? I thought I beat this. And I went back to Mass General. They did another test and they said, you have 90% blockage in your main artery. I said, how can that be? You know, and they, and they said, genetics. I said, okay, well, listen, in six months, there's this little jogathon in Boston called the Boston Marathon. I've run it 47 years in a row. If I have the surgery in six months, what do you think? 
doctor gave me the best possible answer. He didn't say, yes, I think you can do it. Or no, you can't. He said, I'd be extremely disappointed if you couldn't do it. And that gave me that four letter word that we all need and we're all going through right now. And that's hope. I said, ah, maybe he can, they can take care of this. They can actually fix me and I can still pluck out my marathon. All right, go ahead. So I had open heart triple bypass surgery. And then I had the delicate balance of recovering from the surgery, which is pretty traumatic and training for a marathon, you know, by walking a mile every day, then walking two miles every day and walk, jog three miles every day and eventually get myself to the point where I think I might be able to do this. And I went and ran that year's Boston Marathon 2019 and finished my 47th Boston. So what's the status of your your coronary artery disease right now? I don't have it anymore because they've been bypassed. So I'm good. You know, it still takes a little while to recover from that kind of sur- the surgery itself. My illness has been sort of addressed, but to address it, they had to do some, <laughs> some damage. And I'm still recovering from that a little bit, but I'm out there running every single day. Since the surgery, I've run seven marathons. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good. My breathing problem has totally gone away. I was looking forward to last year competing in a lot of races, and there were none that direct or compete. And so I'm looking forward to towards the fall of this coming year. And maybe there'll be something we can all enjoy and participate in. And you're doing a marathon in two weeks in 13, Louisiana. 13 days. The taper starts today. Holy cow. Now, question for you. COVID hits. You're such a workaholic animal. Did you just lose your mind this past year? Not having anything to do for a little bit or? Somewhat. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but. You can't just fold your tent and and quit, right? I didn't as a kid, and you got to find a different path. So, you know, when COVID came, I had 35 events that we were ready to manage. We're going to have a banner year, best year in 40 years, races in San Diego, Green Bay, Maryland, all over the country. We were looking really good, really strong, had a staff of 10 full-time people, about 80 independent contractors, consultants. Everything was great. And then one by one, they all went over the cliff. So now I'm looking at, I'm saying, I just went from a thriving business to zero. I mean, zero. So I said, well, all right, put your big boy pants on again and think about this. People are dying. People are sick. You lost a couple of road races. You know, get your act together. What's your skill set? It's transferable. Figure it out. So we did. And so we did some drive-in movies, outdoor drive-in movies. We did outdoor graduations for schools, organized them. We did some COVID test sites with brought our equipment and set them all up. We did uh, rented our equipment to restaurants for outdoor dining. We did some virtual races and stuff. So we kept a pulse for the summer and the fall. And then all of a sudden the winter came, all that went away. And I'm like, 2021 doesn't look too promising either here, folks. What are we going to do? I had to lay off five, half my staff. But I said, we still, we still got to hang in there, guys. We can't hibernate. We can't just go out of business. So all of a sudden, we get a call from a company called CIC Health in Cambridge. And they were retained by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to set up two mass vaccination sites at Gillette Stadium and Fenway Park. So they called us up saying, hey, we know your logisticians, you know, your logistical people, your ops people. We need you to help us stand up these sites. Sign me up. And so we did. So we've been working with them for a month now, 
managing the floor, the venue, uh, operationally of the Gillette Stadium site, where we're doing over 5,000 vaccinations a day now, and Fenway Park, where we're doing 1,200 vaccinations a day. So I went from, you know, it's like feast or famine. I went from no work, no business, nothing, to 10 hours a day, seven days a week, working these vaccination sites. And the best thing about all of it is that we're helping to keep people alive. We're helping to keep people healthy. And we are having an impact in helping to bring our own industry back. So the more people and the faster and the more efficient we can vaccinate people, the sooner we'll be back out on the road running in road races and directing road races. And you're back to work. So let's go. Back to work. Now, what's the status right now in terms of the vaccination sites? Are things running pretty fluidly or? Yeah, I mean, you know, once they arrive, we take care of them and we just, you know, getting kudos left and right because it's almost like a race. You know, they arrive, you line them up, you send them through the course and make sure they're okay and send them on their way. And that's what we do at road races. And that's what we're doing at the vaccination site. So from our end, it's, you know, it's going extremely smooth. We're opening up the Reggie Lewis Center this coming Thursday. And then we'll probably open up another mass vaccination site in Boston two weeks from now. And then we may do some sort of mobile units where we'll go into the neighborhoods and the communities with, you know, bands and buses and motorhomes or whatever and vaccinate people in their local community. That's the intent. So we'll be doing this for the next six months, you know, so and I'm good with that, you know, because it's good work. It's important work. And like I said, it's going to help just bring our own industry back. But you must be pumped about getting the marathon back up and running in October. Yeah. So actually, Dave, before we get into that, can you just describe a little bit what your job is specifically for the marathon? What do you do? What your day to day is like when it's marathon time, marathon season? I was hired 34 years ago, right after the 1987 marathon, where there were some issues at the start of the race. The gun fired and there was still a rope that was left up that officials were holding and the gun sort of fired prematurely before people get out of the way and runners started tripping and all that. And they, somebody said, hey, we should probably hire someone to take care of this stuff next year. So they hired me and all I did was remove the rope, put a human chain of people and I've had the job ever since. That's about it. No, but that's what I did do at the time. So for me, it started out at the start, you know, working that and and trying to make that more efficient. And then it just morphed into the course and the finish and everything else. And then I became the actual race director. When people say, what do you do for the marathon? I say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a caretaker. What do you mean? Well, it was here way before I was born and it'll be here way after I'm gone. I'm just taking care of it for a while. Right. It doesn't change too much from year to year, sort of, but truly when they asked me, so you're the race director? And I said, yeah, I'm, but now I'm more like a conductor. You're the CEO of the race. Well, yeah, you know, operations more than anything. And my best talent is surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me, right? So you get the team together, you delegate, you trust, but verify, you know, and you just make sure that everything is going well, like a conductor would. Um, you communicate well. And that's generally speaking, my job now is helping to manage the organizing committee, which is about 110 people in various segments of the race. And we inspect it and then 
we try to improve upon it. So with this year, or last year, obviously the race went virtual because of the pandemic. This year was boring. Yeah, this this year was obviously supposed to happen again in April, but it was postponed till October. And even though we have actually come out and announced a specific date, October 11th, no one has come out and said, you know, that that, that's a guarantee. It it will happen. We're working towards it happening. We're trying the best we can. We understand that there's a long runway between now and then, you know, nine months. And it all depends on what happens in the world, what happens with the vaccination rollout and so forth. Even so, we have to start planning for the unknown, which is really tough. Probably have to limit the field size, you know, reduce it from what it was to something smaller so that we can manage it and spread things out. Limited crowds, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and so it's all about mitigation. Might be about testing. It might be about vaccinations. So we're just putting that whole plan together now, which is very, very different than what I I'm used to. That's not what I normally do is talk about testing people or giving vaccinations or, you know, spreading people out six feet apart or, you know, wearing masks or any of that stuff. You know, it's ordering quarter johns and T-shirts and, and equipment. And, and we haven't even got to that point yet. This must be as sick as it may sound for you as a guy who's got this type of motor you must somewhat embrace a challenge like this. Like, you know what? This is something new for me. This is definitely something new to accomplish. I had to shut down the marathon in the first place, but I can also be the guy to bring it back. You know, without sounding like I want tragedy to happen all the time so I can come along and fix it, there is something to be said about the challenge similar to this, to try to step back, reset, and figure it out. Same old, same old, same old doesn't excite me a lot. But when there's new angles, new enhancements, some changes or some challenges, give me a ring, right? I, Connor, it's all about preparation, right? And so for me, I don't go into an event with the mindset of I want to put out fires. I go into an event with the mindset that I want to prevent fires. And if there are fires and someone's putting it out, they're probably going to be titled as a hero. Like they went and put that fire out, but they were probably, you know, the culprit. And they're the ones who probably caused it to begin with because they didn't plan properly. When you plan properly, you probably don't get as much credit as the one who's putting out a fire who probably caused it, but that's okay. So yeah, there's plan A, there's plan B, there's plan C, there's constant hypothetical tabletop exercises that you do, the what ifs, what if there's an accident on the on the mass pike uh, and the buses can't get through with all the runners, how long do you, can you delay the start of the, you got to think these things through well in advance so that if mother nature goes crazy on you or something unexpected happens, there's somewhat of a plan and that you, you, there's a chain of command, you know who's in charge, who's going to make what decisions. And, and those are the situations I really like to find myself in. So how I started everything for myself is I started throwing events. So there's a common thread between people who plan events that you just, you, you like 
thriving in chaos and you can and you can just kind of keep it moving all at once you got a bunch of plates you're holding and so that's been a common thread like i had a the race organizers from the boston reebok 10k on too and they had the same thing i mean you're like you're like them on steroids but (laughs) so race is on october obviously covid's been a challenge i don't mean to be super grim but do you think the marathon bombings was a harder challenge for you or covid because these are two insane mountains to climb well obviously two very different situations i mean the the initial impact and tragedy of a one day one moment incident like that was overwhelming i mean the pandemic is more something spread out over time so the initial impact of the bombing i'll never experiencing experience anything quite like that again but once the bombing happened and we started thinking about the, the next year's planning we were planning for certainty. In other words, we knew what we needed to do. And so we just created the plan to do it. With this, it's so different because we're not sure what we're planning for yet. You know, in a sense, we don't know what life is going to be like even nine months from now, let alone, I mean, we don't know what it's going to be three months from now, right? It, It keeps changing. And if there's herd immunity, if there's everyone's been vaccinated, maybe instantaneously life gets back to normal. I doubt it. I don't think anything is going to be quite the same or most things aren't going to be quite the same. There'll probably be a little bit of the fear factor for some people like, well, I'm going to stay away this time and I'll, I'll, you know, sit on the sidelines, see how everything goes. And next year I'll, I'll be back. I don't know what the reaction is going to be by participants, by volunteers, by spectators, by the cities and towns. Everyone's going to have a different take on this. And those of us planning, you know, in order to plan properly, we need to know what everyone's take is and we don't and we won't. That's hard to plan for. So just completely different challenges. Very. Yeah. I mean, dude, when I doubt you'll ever retire, but if you do, you got to write a book on some of the fires you essentially did put out because you've dealt with a lot, man. Yeah. Well, it's, and again, it's, it's always like a, I've always said it's a team method. Yeah. You know, I might be out in front a little bit, but it's all the other people behind the curtain that obviously are the ones that are helping to make lemonade out of lemon sometimes. How much of, when you reflect on your career, how much of your success do you attribute to daily exercise in having productive days? I almost say the majority of it, to be quite honest with you, you put that in pretty good perspective. Again, I I typically work out in the morning because it makes me feel good for the rest of the day that I was able to get some exercise in. You know, way back when, before my open heart surgery, Sometimes I feel a little guilty going out the door, working out because I almost felt like it was selfish. I was leaving my family, my kids behind. I was doing these crazy events. And, but now I think just the opposite. And I really feel that by taking care of myself, there's nothing more important in life. The most important person in the world should be yourself to you, because if you take care of yourself, then you don't burden anyone else to have to do it for you. And you put yourself in a position where you can help somebody else. So that's, that's a valuable lesson that I learned, especially since my, my surgery, I have a whole new mission now in my 
my mission is this, you know, Massachusetts has a public safety campaign and it's, if you see something, say something. And I have a campaign too now. And it's, if you feel something, say something, you, you have to advocate for yourself. You have to take care of yourself. And so I'm just trying to create an awareness with people, uh, especially us runners and those of us in endurance sports. We have this misguided sense that we're invincible <laughs> and a, a case can be made that we could be the most vulnerable people on the planet because we may be in denial or we may just put something off that needs attention. Now, I've always felt there's two types of pain. There's wanting pain and there's challenge and pain, right? So it's like, which is wanting that you got to do something about it. Don't be a fool. And which is just challenging that, you know, you want to work harder at. And um, you have to somehow, some way, you know, have a sense for the difference and save yourself. Have you had COVID yet? Why do you say yet? <laughs> Am I going to? <laughs> no. 30 million people in this country have caught it. Not me. So I had it, Dave. You did? I did. And um, it was weird for a couple of days, but I still ran every day with it. Oh, yeah. And I, and I felt an insane decline in my breathing ability really? when I was yeah. running. Yeah. But I rebounded pretty quickly after about two and a half weeks. I kind of was back up to full speed. So I just wonder Good. if you'd caught it. Yeah, no. Um, in fact, working at these vaccination sites, they sort of treated us rightfully so as first responders because we're inside buildings with two, three, four thousand people coming through. And so we were vaccinated. Um, oh, you're really Superman. You're really yeah. Superman now. Let's go. So that we can continue to work, you know, with three, four hundred people inside a building instead of, you know, stay away from everyone. Right. Do you have any reactions to the vaccine? None. The first shot, just soreness in the arm. Second shot, not much at all. Some of my staff who work in the site had a relatively, I wouldn't say severe reaction, the second shot, but they had a reaction where they couldn't work the next day. They had to stay home and they were in bed with a like a fever or chills or whatever, but that just lasted less than 24 hours and that was it. So everyone has a different reaction. Hey, B, you want to ask Dave a question? Yeah, sure. Dave, I was wondering what your take is on ultra marathons, some of these huge, like 240 mile races. Um, have you ever thought of doing them? Like some people think they're crazy. They kind of hurt your body, but like, what's your basic take on them? Well, interestingly, you know, having run across the country and having done, I did a 24 hour run where I ran 120 miles in 24 hours, but that was just my own thing, charity thing. I, I did it, raised money for charity, finished at halftime of a New England Patriot football game in front of 60,000 people at the stadium. And, but I've never actually signed up for or competed in a race over 26.2 miles. It sounds weird, but I haven't. Why? I don't know. I suppose if I had to do it over again, I, I probably would because I think I would have been pretty good at it knowing my endurance capability, but I've never run an ultra marathon. I think a lot of it has to do with biomechanics, of course, fitness and training and body type all weigh in on it. But I've run 150,000 miles and I don't have any problems right now. I don't have artificial knees, artificial hips. I don't have any injuries right now. 
knock on wood, I've done some pretty crazy things, but I'm also, you know, just doesn't sound consistent, but I'm also careful in how I approach these things and make sure that, like I said, on the very first thing, my grandfather taught me about earning the right. I don't do these things on a barroom bet. It's really like, okay, I want to do this. Now I got to earn the right to do it. Um, I got to make sure that I'm capable of, and I do the work and I acclimate myself and I get myself prepared because I don't want to destroy my body in the process. That does me no good, you know, to be a hero that I conquered this ultra marathon, but now I, you know, have to go in for cartilage surgery in my knee or something. No, thank you. Well, so, they're in the community, the ultra community, there's a pain is glamorized a lot. Yeah. I, and I'm personally somewhat of a masochist, so I kind of like it, but a lot of people are like, yeah, this is like too crazy. Like it's all like getting into the pain cave and getting nuts. I'm not into pain. Uh, I have a high tolerance, but I don't want to just purposely go out there and make myself miserable. What I do want to do is, like I said, move that needle where my threshold is way higher than most other people. And so I'm accomplishing what they're accomplishing, but not putting my body through the pain that they may be. So that's how I approach it. Now, on some of these feats, like running across the country and, you know, some of these other, like the Ironman, how often you prioritize mobility work and functional stretching? So, you know, again, I'm 66. So when I was doing a lot of this stuff, it was more like 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And we didn't know then (laughs) everything that runners today know now. Right. And so there wasn't a lot of that going on. There wasn't like a lot of stretching, a lot of yoga. You know, there wasn't all the equipment that they have today, all the toys, all the technology. It was pretty down and dirty. The footwear was just. I was going to say, yeah, what were you doing for shoes? You know, ASICs, you know, flats with no heel counters, no durometer, no heel height, no nothing, you know, but sometimes I, I look at those times and I, and I didn't get injured much back then, even though I was doing, you know, some pretty 120, 130 mile weeks back to back to back to back training wise and stuff. But, um, and now you have all these gizmos and, and people, <laughs> people are getting injured left and right. You, you wonder if, the high technology stuff is actually counterproductive and making it worse. I don't know, but lucky for me that I I was able to stay away from any kind of debilitating injuries back then. But no, I just, yeah, it is. And I didn't do what I would say a lot of stretching. I do more now than ever only because I'm so, so tight now. I do more stretching after I run than I do before. I feel like if I stretch too much before, I'm going to, I'm going to hurt myself. (laughs) I'm going to pull something. I'm going to overstretch and then forget it. Whereas after I'm done, I feel like the body's warmed up. I'm more flexible. I can get a better stretch. So I'm, I'm more of a fan of after and post post run than pre run. I hear you. So one, you having a good time, man. Awesome. I'll be honest. This is like the least hyper part of my day normally is sitting down for a Zoom call like this. Are you like itching to get up and go do something? 
No, I'm okay. I already, I, I did my run. I actually got a massage this morning, so I'm feeling really good. What'd you um, do for a run today? Uh, I did seven. Whereabouts? Just on the streets? You go through the trails? Yeah, just, I have, I have a whole bunch of set routes around here, depending on, you know, I'm not really training for anything right now. Well, you're training for life. I'm training. Well, yeah, but I'm actually training for Boston in April. Um, even though the marathon isn't scheduled for April, uh, last year, I ran around my neighborhood on Patriots Day because that's what I've done for 47 years. So I did it for the 48th year on Patriots Day. And then I did the virtual Boston Marathon because that's the one that actually counted. So I did that one around my neighborhood. And then a week after I did the virtual Boston Marathon, I was scratching my head saying, wait a minute, I haven't run from Hopkinton to Boston yet at all this year. And I've done that every year for the last 47 years. So I drove to Hopkins and parked my car and ran the course. So you ran, you ran the Boston three times. <laughs> I ran Boston three times last year. Yes. And so April's coming in two months. So I'm running 26 miles on, on April 19th, whatever the date it is. And then, um, and then go from there. <laughs> what are you doing for shoes right now? I actually am a pretty big fan of Hocus. Um, uh. Yeah, I really am. Are they sponsoring the race? I thought New Balance sponsors the race. What, Boston? Yeah. No, no, no. Adidas sponsors oh, Adidas, uh, right. Boston. So what happened to me is a good friend works at Hoker, and he sent me a couple pairs of shoes, and I got them in the mail once. And I looked at them, and I went, I'm not wearing these. These are, these are clown shoes. And I just put them in the closet. And like three months later, he writes me and says, I want to send you a couple of more pair. How are the original ones I sent you? I went, uh-oh, I didn't even wear them. Uh, so he sends me some more shoes. I said, I better try these out. And I tried them out. And I said, wow, you know, these things feel pretty good. And they're really keeping me from being beat up. And so I've been wearing them ever since. I did the 777 with one pair of Hoka shoes. I've run every marathon with them. So to each his own, you know. What are they, Carbon I, X's? Do you know the model? No, mine are the, um, not the Bondies. Um, Clifton's. Clifton Fives. The Clifton Fives, I really like. And again, you know, when people say, well, what do you recommend for shoes? I said, I recommend you go to a specialty store, meet with the clerk, you know, you know, have them do an analysis of your gait cycle and what you got. You pronate, you supinate, you this, you that, your heel strike or toe strike. Because these shoes are all built for different abnormalities and how, again, biomechanically, how you're structured and, and you'll find something that's best for you, but there's no such thing as one best running shoe out there on the planet. that doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah I, ha I have the, uh, the Saucony endorphin pros. I really, really like okay, them. Cool. That's They're great. great. They're a Boston I, company too. I worked for Saucony for five years. I was their national director of promotions right out of, right when I got done from running across the country, I opened up an athletic footwear and clothing store then I started putting on events to promote the store, realized I like putting on events, wooden shoes on people's feet. And then Saucony offered me a job and I went to work for them for five years. That was pretty cool. Their company's grown a ton since then, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because they used to make the bowling shoes, the hide bowling shoes, the spot built shoes for, um, for basketball and football. I used to work with people like Kyle Skremski and OJ Simpson and, George Scott from the Red Sox and just all, all people like it was pretty cool. Now, as a traditionalist in the running community, do you do any intra run nutrition? You do any like goos or salts or anything like that? 
You know, I, I will admit that I'm, I'm relatively old school when it comes to a lot of that stuff. I get off at it all the time. I try it out. Does it make a difference? Uh, maybe some do, some don't. But, you know, for me, I just get out and run. I don't need a lot of supplements. I don't need a lot of fuel belts and toys. And I, I, I just, there's one thing I do when I run. I don't wear iPods, you know, anything. <laughs> I run. Earpods? Earpods, I mean <laughs> iPods. Airpods. See, I told you I don't. Well, see, you're the type of guy I like because I agree. I think people overcomplicate it so much. They overcomplicate it. It's like, it. dude, then, just keep your legs moving, man. That's it. And, and then you get dependent on, I don't keep a log. I don't write down my miles every day. I don't do that. I do one thing, though, that I've been doing for 40 years. I run with a, a handheld voice recorder. And because I feel like when I'm out running, that's when I'm coming up with my best ideas and my best thoughts. And there's no distraction. And plus, I don't want to necessarily think about my running. I want to just think about everything else going on in the world, what I want to do when I grow up. I, I want to write a book. What should it be? I got to direct a marathon in a week. What am I forgetting? I do all of it out on the road. Mm -hmm. If I want to come up with, if I'm stuck on something, I'm writing a document and I can't get through it. I'll shut the computer off. I'll go for a run. I'll come back. I can easily finish it because I've come up with all the answers. I record all my good thoughts on my voice recorder, every single run. Then I come home and I write them down. And because I write them down off the recorder, I do them. That's how I get things done. I do them. When they're written down, I can't cross it off until I check it off. And so that's why I, I multitask when I'm out there running. I'm doing my work, being creative, and I'm getting in a good workout. Well, hey, listen, right. man. I had a great time. I hope you had fun. Before we wrap, we have a couple bits to end the show. Yeah, oh, I can only imagine. Okay, lay it on me. Are you ready? <laughs> You're going to ask me what my favorite ice cream is or something? I'm kidding. So, number one, I'm releasing a movie in the spring. You are. I asked you one thing, Dave. One yeah. thing only. Yes. When I release the movie, can you watch it with your family? Oh, yeah. What's it, What's the name? Are you give me a title? Or I, no? I can't tell you that, Dave. Come on. Okay. Well, I want to know what I'm watching. Okay. It's, well, then you're going to let me know. I wish, <laughs> I wish I could tell you. It doesn't have a name yet. Okay. The That's movie itself is, is 41 yeah. minutes. Okay, that's good. So you can just sit after your eight-mile run, your nine-mile run, sit back, just watch it. That's number one. Number two, this is how we start and end the show. I'm going to say it once, Dave. You ready? Hi. Go. You have to say hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Okay. So you got it, man? So hi, you Say that again one more time. Hi. My name. Don't, don't write it down. Come on. Dude. Why? I'm writing it down. No. Come on, messing up. <laughs> no, you can't cheat. I'm, hi. Oh, that's your, cheating? Hi, your name. Yeah. And this is my golden hour. Directly okay. after, no break. Hi, your name. And that was my golden hour. Oh, that was. Okay. Do and, that now? Yeah, whenever you're ready, man. Okay. Hi, this is Dave McGilvery. And this is my golden hour. Hi. This is Dave McGilvery, and that was my golden hour. Well executed, but you cheated.
Okay. <laughs> hey, It'll David. First time. All question right. for you: Do you ever you ever run in groups? Because I'd love to do a run with you sometime soon, man. If not, you can stiff arm me. It's fun. Well, no, I typically don't. If I do, it's only like Saturday mornings down the block with this local running club. But very rare do I. Very rare. But we can run together sometime. But not necessarily with a group. Yeah, yeah. Me, you, and Becca. I'd love to do one. It'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Well. Look, Feel free to try to arrange it and that'd be great. I think she's running across the U.S. soon, isn't she? Well, she has it on her bucket list to do it. And I think it was going to be this year, but given everything going on. So I don't know where it is on her calendar anymore. I I don't know where she's put it off till. Yeah. All right, my man. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. Very good. Be in touch. How are you going? Bye-bye. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, answer, just, you forgot to enter. Hi, this is Dave McGilvery, and that was my golden hour.